Hello, welcome to the OK Preps Extra podcast. I'm Patrick Prince, joined as always by Barry Lewis. Barry, we haven't talked in a while, so good to see you. We've got a lot to catch up on, and uh, we're going to get into a lot of topics right after this short break. Barry, let's start with uh, the OSSAA and the, the state title football games for 11-man. Uh, they've been at UCO for a couple of years. Uh, good venue and the venue has only gotten nicer. They did a nice renovation. Seems like a good place to, to have it. Um, but the deal is up and I guess the OSSAA is looking for a five-year deal. The bid process is ongoing. Uh, are you okay if the, if UCO, if the title games for the next five years remain at UCO? Oh, that would be, I'm very okay with that. I think right now, what we've seen over the last few years with the games being at UCO, it's the best setup that the OSSA has had for its state championship games in their totality that they've really ever had. Uh, yes, it was great um, in the special situations. Everyone remembers 1999, Jenks and Union playing before 40,000 at TU. And um, so that was awesome, of course. But when you look at all the championship games in their totality, it is such a great situation for several reasons right now with the setup they've got at UCO. It's centrally located, as you mentioned. It's a really nice stadium, and it's only getting nicer. Uh, they really want it there. That's huge, uh, that you feel welcome there. Uh, everyone feels welcome at UCO. It's not like they're doing you a favor. Um, and um, in the past situations, in those years, when there was a situation, when there were situations when the OSSA was, all the championship games were at different sites, or most of them were at different sites, that was just so chaotic. You would have five or six different championship games going on at seven o'clock on a Friday. So obviously you couldn't see them all. You only could see one. Now, if you're a high school football fan, you could see them all. So what a deal. I mean, you know, when the season starts, where the games are going to be held. I mean, instead of like not knowing one or two weeks in advance where the championships games are going to be. So it just makes it so much easier on most people. Um, so it's a great setup. I love it there. I think it's the best situation they've ever had for the games in their totality. That being said, it would be nice. And I think it, it would be doable if there was some exception clause in there for 6A1 if you had two teams from the east side which would likely be the case that um like there is most years mm -hmm. many years where if they could find a site to host the game in the Tulsa area it would be great to see an exemption for that and that in we saw that happen during the five year contract when the games were at OSU, there were a couple of times there was uh, that an exception um, in the games were played in the Tulsa area instead of at OSU. And uh, so that might make the situation better. Um, but overall, I mean, UCO Stadium is like the perfect size yeah. for most championship games. I mean, an exception might be in 6A1 when uh, you get a special situation where you could draw more than 12,000 fans. Although um, 
sad to say, um, there were some times for some really high profile 6A1 playoff games that were held in neutral site, like TU in recent years, when they drew like only five or 6,000. Mm-hmm. So um, for the most part, UCO, it's the perfect size stadium. It's just really good in so many ways. Yeah, I always felt like it was a little bit of a weird environment at OSU just to have a stadium that big. It's swallowed it up. It's swallowed it up, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because there are times when you had 15 or 16,000 people there and it didn't seem like 15 or 16,000 people. You got 15 or 16,000 people at UCO, well, you'd be overflowing. So I don't know if you could get 15 or 16,000 in there, but, uh, you know, you have eight, 9,000 at UCO, then that's a lot of people there. I mean, a great atmosphere. Uh, whereas, again, even if you had eight or 9,000 at TU, uh, that's pretty well doesn't it's not quite the same atmosphere either yeah what what's the reaction from 6a1 uh coaches Barry do you think they're they're happy at Edmond or would if, if it's an all east side final would those coaches just rather stay around here I I think it's mixed again most of them will just say wherever the game is they're happy yeah. to be playing it and I think um I mean some coaches would prefer that it stay over here that there's a way for it to be played over here but then some I think now it's UCO is becoming a destination um that could I think in some some coaches welcome playing there I mean don't have a problem playing there at all so um because again it is a really nice venue and uh in, when the season starts, you can say, hey, that's where we want to be playing the first week in December is UCO. Yeah. Let's switch to basketball for a second, Mary. And you, and you wrote about this when it happened. But interesting move by the OSSAA. In midseason, they move Holland Hall boys and girls basketball up to, was it is it 5A? Yeah. They move from 4A to 5A in the middle of the season. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I thought it was it was jolting. I mean, Coach Teddy Owens, as I, I reported in today's paper, he said he was in total shock when he learned about it a week ago last Tuesday. And I was in shock when I heard about it because uh, this just doesn't happen. Uh, again, it was w- one of those weird things that um, it seemed like last July or August it was being talked about that Holland Hall – they needed to be one of those privates because of their success, that rule that's in there that um, private schools get, except in football, can get moved up a classification. Or except in football, you can't be moved up to 6A in football. But um, because of your past success, private schools can be moved up uh, a class higher. And it seemed like Holland Hall fit that. However, it seemed like they got the all clear on that in the summertime. So they were assumed, hey, we're go- they're going to be in 4A again. So, uh, and you schedule that way. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the season, whoops, no, sorry about that. Uh, you're really in 5A. So their schedule, I mean, they played a couple of uh, 5A teams, but um, there's now a big gap between the end of the season, regular season schedule and the playoffs for Holland Hall because 4A playoffs start a week earlier than 5A. So that's an adjustment Holland Hall has to make. Um, One of the things that I thought might hurt Holland Hall, but apparently it hasn't, is that um, 
apparently the word has got out among all the coaches that they need to be voting. Holland Hall isn't 5A. I was wondering if um, when the first rankings came out, if a lot of people would forget about Holland Hall yeah. <laughs> and not include them in the 5A rankings, but uh, they were sixth. So that's a very legitimate ranking for them. Uh, so it looks like the word has gotten out to all the coaches that Holland Hall is a part of 5A. So it really jams up 5A locally here for the boys, at least. 5A locally is probably Memorial may appears may not be quite as good as it has been the last few years, although it's still really, really good. I mean, the bar is so high after all, they've won six state titles in the last 10 years. Um, so Memorial may not be quite as good, although really good, but 5A overall in this area, this may be the most, even before Holland Hall moved in there, it seemed like it was more competitive um, uh, than it has been in quite a while. And you throw Holland Hall into the mix, it's like, oh my, <laughs> it's going to be really tough to get um, for in 5A for teams in this area to host a regional. So there's a lot of competition because Hale's having its best season in so many years. Um, they're going to be in the mix. Edison looks like it has its best team in a few years. Uh, Bishop Kelly's good. Kawit is good. Now you throw Holland Hall in there. It's it's going to be quite a scramble to get a regional uh, hosting. Um, so uh, it's going to be very interesting. Of course, we I've been focusing on the boys, but uh, it's the girls are in the same situation. Holland Hall girls are really good too. I mean, they're a state tournament contender, whether it's 4A or 5A. So um, uh, it's it's just very interesting. If I read your story right, Barry, wasn't it, didn't the OSSAA say that it was just a mistake and they should have been in 5A? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At, at that point, Barry, don't you just concede the mistake and just start fresh next year? I mean, I did to make that move in the middle of the season when it wasn't Holland Hall's fault, it just seems odd to me that they do it in the middle of the season. Do you agree with that move or should they have waited until next season? I think they should have. Well, and again, I mean, because the ADMs, which everything is based off change year to year, um, I, it's not necessarily something that is going to happen next season. Um I would have just said, hey, once, once the, I mean, to me, once the classifications are set in the fall, you just got to go with it, even right. if the mistake's been made. Yeah. I mean, I've never recalled something quite like this. Um, I think maybe in the back of their minds, they also say went through something like this in volleyball a few years ago with Victory Christian, which won a state title and. There was a lot of discussion whether they should have, they were in the wrong classification. <laughs> so maybe they remembered that. It's like, hey, let's try to fix this now. So you, there's no controversy at the end of the season. So from an OSSA standpoint, I can sort of see it, but still it's like when you set those classifications, that really needs to be final. Yeah. So, all right. So you and I, Barry, haven't uh, done a podcast since signing day. And a lot of the drama from signing day is kind of gone now. We, we There's just not the drama there used to be, e even just a couple of years ago, really. Uh, but your biggest takeaway from signing day was what? 
Well, it was pretty exciting seeing Micah Tease of Booker T. Washington, who I think it was on the day of our last previous podcast, we were taping it when everything was breaking as far as him decommitting from Arkansas and um, winding up, he wound up going to uh, Texas A&M. He livened up signing, signing day, that's for sure. So, and also a surprise on signing day. Well, Arkansas lost Micah Tease, but they gained Emmanuel Crawford, Grove's outstanding running back, because that was uh, um, at going into signing week. Um, we're wondering what's going to happen to Emmanuel Crawford. Yeah. Is he going to sign? Is he going to wait till the February signing day? Well, uh, he wound up signing with Arkansas, so a big addition for the Razorbacks, and Sam Pittman gets a signee from his alma mater, high school alma mater. Yeah, and, and I know that Sam Pittman's from here, but I, I'd kind of forgotten the Grove connection until you mentioned that, Barry. So, yeah, um, is how do you think he'll do at the next level? Is he an is he an SEC running back? I maybe not at this point. He's an SEC athlete, but okay. um, as um, he's probably going to have to gain more weight. He's going to have to spend some time in the weight room, and I think until then, he's probably going to be used. Uh, not as a running back by Arkansas, but maybe as just as a returner or as a slot receiver, because uh, anything you can do to get him the ball in space, I mean, that's the key, because he can play in the SEC, but I think he's going to need to get a little bigger to be used as a running back. Um, you know, we talk about the difference one game can make. Uh, I think the game against Collinsville, the regular season game, when he gained like 400 yards and just had a huge game at the defending state champion, that was what really, thank God, was re-energized his prospects, especially as far as getting an offer like from an Arkansas. I think Sam Pittman took a, another look at him after that game and liked what he saw. So one game can mean a lot. I mean, we've talked about that um, a few years ago with Braylon Presley after having a breakout game on ESPN. And all of a sudden people were after him. So one game can mean a lot. And speaking of that, um, we saw that at the Tournament of Champions in basketball. So um, Dayton Forsythe, Dale outstanding player, had a great week at the Tournament of Champions. So the day after the Tournament of Champions is over, and he after he's led them to victory, he gets offers from OSU and OU and Wake Forest. Wow, the next day. The next day. Good for him. So there are people watching. Yeah, I saw Keaton Page out there pretty much all week. The OSU assistant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And obviously made an impression on him. See, that's really interesting, although – the first night of the Tournament of Champions, Bill Self was there, Mike Boynton's there, King Page is there. They're all in the front row, so they're very visible. Mm -hmm. um, so, and we were thinking they were there to watch David Castillo from Bartlesville, but uh, they were watching more than David Castillo, apparently, because it's Dayton Forsythe who stole the show, and uh, all of a sudden he gets those offers from OU and OSU. Well, I haven't seen him play, Barry. What's he like? Like, what's his game like? I think Memorial coach Bobby Allison put it best. He says, there's a lot of Keaton Page in Dayton Forsythe. 
Oh, so he's that kind of guy. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I I would agree with that. Um, and of course, that's very high praise. Keaton Page, one of the greatest high school basketball players in state history, one of the greatest I've seen. That's for sure. Obviously, had a really good college career. Now he's got you know in a you know good college coaching career as well at OSU. So that's high praise when you're being compared to Keaton Page. No doubt about it. What what year is he? He's a junior. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, who else, Barry? We we kind of we we talked a little bit about basketball, but you know we've had the like you said the tournament of champions. Some of the holiday tournaments are behind us now. Um, what are some other players that have stand out to you? Well, uh, play as far as players, um, it's still really early. Um, Chris Mason of Victory Christian is very intriguing to me. Uh, he's got it all physically to be really good. He's had an interesting career. He start as a freshman, he was at Victory. Last year, he played at Union. So he got a taste of 6A ball, that game in and game out. And now he's back at Victory. And um, he can look just totally dominant at times. Uh, he was the Sky Took Tournament MVP last week. Um, very impressive when uh, he is focused. And uh, I guess now it's just a matter of consistency with him because there was a game earlier in the week, and I think this speaks highly of Holland Hall, that Chris Mason only scored eight points, while Holland Hall's Jaden Cool scored 31 and had a big night. Uh, There's another player to watch. He's averaging 18 points a game for Holland Hall, which is undefeated. So, um, but Chris Mason, he's... He catches your attention. He, he can dominate a game. So um, um, I think about, he definitely when he returned to victory, he made victory a state title contender again. Okay. What about the, the maybe the, I hate to say the best team you've seen so far, but maybe I'll say best team slash best performance by a team. Who's, who stood out to you there? It'd be Dale and Dayton Forsythe. Uh <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. Some somebody came out with some state rankings and overall rankings, regardless of class, yesterday. And Dale was ranked ninth. And um, I think a couple of the teams that were ahead of him, Dale had beaten in the tournament of champions. And so that caused some quite a bit of discussion on social media, uh, understandably so. I'll just say it right now. At this moment, Dale is the top team I've seen. I mean, to go through the tournament champions like they did and to do it like they did, it wasn't like they were hanging on winning up all these one-point games on fluke shots, uh, which would have been impressive on, on its own just as a two-way team. But they had a pair of 15-point victories, and then um, they pulled away from Memorial in the last two minutes. So they just look really, really good at this point. They're 19-0. and They in foresight. Three great games coming off a MVP performance in the state two A state tournament last year. Uh, right now, I'd have to give Dale the edge as the top team in the state, even though they're two A. Fair enough. All right, so we we've announced this previously, Barry, but just just to remind folks, we've had some beat changes in sports, so that's why you're not seeing Dean Rule here with us today who helped you out in the fall with football coverage. Dean has been moved to uh, OSU. Uh, Kelly Hines is back on TU, familiar territory for her. 
Uh, Kelly and I will be doing a tea podcast, I think this afternoon, maybe tomorrow. So we'll, we'll get that, get that going. And so mostly Barry, it'll be just back to you and me on the, on the high school podcast, although we might invite some guests along the way. Um, Let's remind folks, Barry, so this morning, uh, you and I had a meeting about All World, our annual awards banquet, always a great event, Uh, still figuring out a lot of details on that, but we are going to have it for a seventh year. Uh, It'll be this summer sometime, more details to be announced later, Uh, but why don't you, Barry, kind of catch us up on, on the All World selection process and where we are with all that. Yes, the All World um, because of the personnel changes that were, um, have delayed the announcement of our all-world fall sports teams uh, a little later than we would originally had planned, but those will come out uh, probably around a target date right now is early February for football, volleyball, cross-country, and softball. So, um, and if there are any coaches out there who have not been contacted or received a nomination form, uh, please contact me. So we'll get that to you. We've tried to cover everyone, but with the personnel changes, as you've mentioned, um, there's been some things in transition. So um, uh, look for those teams to be announced in the fi- all world player of the year, athlete of the year finalists for those sports to be announced probably in early February. So we're still working on them. Um, we're still having it. It's just uh, going to take a little longer than we originally had hoped. And then also this week in the paper, Barry, we're coming out with the winter players of the week for basketball, boys and girls, and we'll do wrestling and swimming. Uh, we already published basketball athletes of the week. We'll be doing when are we going to do uh, swimming and wrestling? What, what's their day? Those will be in Thursday's paper. Okay. So they'll be online Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and basically, anyone who wanted to send nominations, the easiest thing would just be sending them to me. Um, and I handle basketball, John Tranchina will handle wrestling and swimming for athletes of the week. But uh, if you just, so you can send, um, him the information or you can just send me the information. I'll make sure it gets it to him. I get it to him. All right. Of course, those are the Bill Knight athletes of the week. And, uh, we always appreciate his support. Uh, all right. Well, Barry, let's, uh, let's end it there. Appreciate the knowledge as always. And we'll catch up next week. All right. See you next week.